0: And I appreciate the uh, the song selection because, you know, it it fits right in with what we're talking about. You know, the the last two songs, you know, we we talked about the glory of the Lord, and uh, that's what that's what we're gonna uh, that's what we're gonna look at. You know, as we've been going along in Mark's gospel, we we keep finding ourselves stopping and, and asking, "Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus?" You know, that's that's. One of the most important questions, maybe the most important question we can ask. And, uh, you know, Mark writes a whole account here to answer that, to answer that question, you know, just to make sure we stay on track, even from the very first verse, he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then he unfolds the, the life of Jesus to show how it's undeniably true that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the anointed one from God, that he is the son of God. Uh, today we're in uh, Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 1, where we see uh, Jesus transfigured. That may, that may be a word you don't use that often, transfigured. It, it means to uh, to change, you know, to change visibly. Um, We'll get into that a little bit in a second here but uh, you know we we get a glimpse a glimpse of of the glory of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration this is a very significant story in in the life of Jesus and uh, you know it's a little bit of a difficult passage and you know that's a good thing though about going verse by verse through the through a book of the Bible is we we get to talk about everything whether it's difficult or not, you know, we don't we we don't skip over anything. Because everything in there is important. The Holy Spirit-inspired God's word, everything written is there for a, a reason. So let's, let's let the Holy Spirit guide us as we look at this passage that he himself inspired. Mark chapter 9 starting in verse 1. Read with me in your Bibles. I like that. And he appeared to them, and there, there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them that no one tell what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Let's let's pray. would just ask you that uh, you would speak to us today through your word, that your Spirit would just shed light on the meaning that you would have us to uh, to see in your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. One thing I want, to, I want to notice right away is that Jesus reveals his glory throughout this gospel, and he kind of reveals it piece by piece, part by part. You know, he, he reveals his, his glory in, in stages. And uh, you know looking back at last week's passage, Jesus speaks of his coming and glory, his coming and glory. He says, "What profit does it man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul?" For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels? You know, so we we see from from this passage that he's he's talking about something in the future. He's talking about when he comes in glory. When he comes in glory, you know this is this is going to be a very significant event in human history in in the history of of redemption. It's going to be a time of reckoning. It's going to be a culmination of of events. And you know we can we can argue that he's he's already begun to reveal his glory. You know, at least in part, he's you know he's demonstrated that he's he does things that only God can do. He does he. He shows God's glory by raising people from the dead. He shows that he alone is able to forgive sins. You know, he, he commands the, the wind and the sea and they obey. He heals people. He rescues them from spiritual bondage. And remember in the last chapter, Peter came to this realization Actually, it was the spirit who revealed it to him. We know that from Matthew's account. He said to Jesus, you are the Christ. When Jesus asked, who who do you say I am? You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. That was a big revelation to Peter and the, the disciples. You know, Peter had seen over a period of time evidence of this, but you know his his declaration that you are the Christ that was that that's a pivotal moment in this this narrative this story uh, you know the disciples had experienced an an amount of of spiritual blindness you know not not really realizing who Jesus was not really recognizing how amazing this stuff is that Jesus is doing and now Jesus is taking them to this mountaintop. He's taking them to the next level in their training. You know, he's he's teaching them to see things to to see their lives from a different perspective, an eternal perspective. And uh you know what? This learning doesn't come easy for them and it doesn't come easy for us. Jesus says in Chapter 9, verse 1, he says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. What what does he mean? What does he mean by this? He was was saying, there's some people right here, some people here who are, are standing here that I'm talking to who will see the kingdom of God come with power. Uh, you know, this is this is one of those uh, enigmatic statements that Jesus makes that uh, commentators and theologians debate about. Uh, you know, we we really need to, when we study the Bible, though, just look at the context. Normally, the uh, the simplest solution is the one we can derive by by reading it in the context, the the verses before, the verses after. Jesus had just talked about his suffering and death and resurrection in uh, verse 38 of, of the last chapter, 8, 838. And then he talks about a time when he will come in glory, the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You know, the kingdom of God and the glory of Christ will be revealed. You know, we we have the advantage of, of knowing the whole story, of, of, of having the book. You know, we know what the end is. They didn't. You know, for, for them it was like... Um, you know, have you ever watched a, a, a series of, of shows where you only get one week at a time and, you know, they, they leave you hanging. Oh, I wonder what's coming next. You know, we've got to wait a whole week before we find out. But the way I prefer to watch those series is wait till they're all out and then just kind of watch them all <laughs> in one week, you know. You know, and that's, that's our vantage point, you know. But they, they, they had to see things really kind of unfold uh, slowly, you know, the kingdom of God, the glory of Christ will be revealed. You know, Jesus, and he, he tells them three times in the book of Mark, tells them this, Jesus will suffer, he'll die, he'll, he'll be raised from the dead. You know, he will ascend to heaven. His glory revealed piece by piece. The, the Holy Spirit will come on Pentecost. They don't know this yet, but we do. His glory revealed in stages. One Bible scholar, a guy named R.T. France, says that uh, Jesus may not be referring to a single event, but to a series of events. Jesus' transfiguration, death, resurrection, ascension, Pentecost, the destruction of the temple. As one sees the seed developing into a stalk, a head, and full kernel, Some of Jesus' disciples will see the fulfillment of his prediction in stages. The kingdom's power will be undeniably visible. And it's significant that he says all this stuff right before this this event, this this transfiguration, the the mountaintop experience. And this this account is is rich in meaning. The, The word... Transfiguration. It comes from a Greek word, uh, "metamorpho." You, know, you, you probably know the word "metamorphosis." You know, uh, insects will go through a a, a process of metamorphosis. metamorphosis. You know, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly eventually, right? But it's a it's a change in the manner visible to others. God is allowing Peter and James and John these three to to see that he is more than just a man. He's more than the son of man. He is the son of man, but he's also the son of God. And he's revealing that in a visible way. They get to see him in his glory. And uh, Moses and Elijah are with him. Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. This is, this is important. So Jesus reveals his glory to us in stages, little at a time. Sometimes this revelation is in large doses like he does here and the second point is that you know God does give us mountaintop experiences you know this is a pretty amazing thing what, what's happening there let's look at the uh, the event that takes place on the mountain you know what can we learn we need to go back to the Old Testament really I think to get the, uh, the fullness of, of what happened here you know we especially need to look in the, the book of Exodus when Moses goes to the top of a mountain. Remember that? He had a mountaintop experience where he encountered God. God gave him the law. You know, this, this, this mountaintop experience that Moses had was, was very pivotal in the Old Testament narrative. And so I'd like to, I'd like to read it. I'd like for us to read this, um, and see the parallel to this account of what Jesus did on the Mount of Transfiguration in, in Mark's gospel. Let's look at Exodus 24, 12 through um, 18. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hurl are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him, let him go to them. And then Moses went up the mountain, and uh, the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and it covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud, went up on the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Yeah. So on this, on this mountain, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb is another name for it. God revealed his glory. He revealed his glory to Moses. You not only did Moses get, or not only did God give Moses the Ten Commandments on that mountain. He gave him a lot more. He gave them instructions on on how to build the tabernacle. Uh, instructions on the uh, the Levitical priesthood. Instructions about things like uh, how the Sabbath is to be uh, observed. You know, on, on this mountain, God established a covenant with his people. He made a promise to them. And uh, remember several hundred years prior to this, uh, God had made a covenant with Abraham uh, promising a blessing for him, a blessing for his offspring. He said, I surely will bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. You know, so God is telling Abraham, as a result of this blessing, as a result of this covenant promise I'm making to you, the whole world is going to be blessed by your offspring. And we know from reading the book of Romans that he's ultimately speaking of Christ. You know, how, how the gospel of, of Jesus Christ will, will reach the entire world, all nations. So, back to Moses through Moses uh through this law that that God is giving his people you know he's establishing this this new covenant this other well another covenant you know he's giving the people the law this will guide them on how they should live how they should worship how they should conduct themselves before God how they conduct how they should conduct themselves with others you know this this law was was a revelation from God to God's people through Moses. You know, it was God revealing himself, revealing his glory, revealing his, his character and, and his people. I mean, his heart to his people, for his people. So when, when Moses returned from the mountain, do you remember there was something... Something about him, something very strange that people notice about him. Look at Exodus thirty-four twenty-nine. It said, when he came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of testimony in his hand and came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking to God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin on his face shone. And they were afraid to come near him. He was glowing. You know Moses was a person who theologians would say he was a a type of Christ, a type of christ uh, that that is someone who God has given us to give us a a picture, really kind of an incomplete picture of of the Messiah who was to come. Moses was not the Messiah, but he but he typified the Messiah in some ways, some limited ways. You know Moses' face shone brilliantly you know keep that keep that in your mind when we come back to the Transfiguration because why he had been with God, he had been in the presence of God now on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is shining there's a big difference here in there because uh you know Mark reports that the very clothing is so bright, so white that you know nobody could. Get it that white with, with bleaching. Moses' face shone because he'd been with God. Christ shines because he is God. You know, it's, it's the difference between the moon and the, and the sun, right? The moon reflects the light of the sun, but the sun is the, is the source of the light. You know, we, we may reflect his light, but Jesus is the light. You know, he, he has no equal. Back in Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen, Moses prophesies about the Christ who who would come. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. He continues a few verses later in uh, 1818. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Moses was a, he was a lawgiver. Moses was a a prophet. You know, but the ultimate prophet, the, the ultimate lawgiver will come after him, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. Remember how people kept thinking, you know, Jesus, uh, maybe it was Elijah. Remember that? And Jesus asked, who, who, do you, who do you say I am and who do people say I am? Uh, and they said, well, you know, some people say you're, you're one of the prophets. Some people say that you're Elijah. Some say that you are John the Baptist returning from the dead. Um, interesting. They say Elijah. Yeah. You know, they. Why, why not Isaiah or Amos or Habakkuk or, or Obadiah? Uh, you know, there's something special about Elijah. Something uh, must be very exceptional about Elijah. Yeah. He was. He was a prophet who, like Jesus. Performed miracles. He, he, raised, he even raised somebody from the dead. He was a great prophet. You know, God used Elijah to bring new revelation of himself to his people. Uh, the Old Testament prophesied, this is it. The Old Testament prophesied that Elijah would return before the end times in the day of the Lord. And so we we need to see the significance of the fact that on this mountain Jesus was with Moses and he was with Elijah, you know, two seminal figures in in the Old Testament. He was talking with him with them. These Old Testament figures who who are so prominent. He's there talking with them. But Jesus the, the Christ, you know, he's he 's not just another prophet, not just another lawgiver, along with Moses and Elijah. you know he is God, made flesh on earth, and on this mountain we get a glimpse or john and and Peter and James got a glimpse of, of Jesus in his splendor and his glory this this glory which uh, in Philippians two uh which Danny read uh, kind of after what he he read. It talks about Jesus coming and and are being glorified. You know, he Jesus came as a servant. He came as a as a man, one of us, and died. He was obedient un, unto death, and therefore God had has glorified him. So, you know, Philippians two talks about. Jesus setting aside his divine prerogative, setting aside his glory momentarily and becoming a servant. Well, the text says that Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, led them up the high mountain by themselves. Um, we don't know what mountain this was, it just says a high mountain. The uh, gospel writers don't tell us. You know, it might have been Mount Hermon, it might have been Mount Tabor. There's, there's a church that was built on Mount Tabor, by the way, called the, uh, the Church of the Transfiguration. That was built several hundred years ago. We don't, we don't know. Anyway, you know, it was on this other mountain, Mount Horeb, on, which is also called Mount Sinai, on the Sinai Peninsula, where God met Moses, gave people his law. Uh, Mount Horeb is also the mountain where God met Elijah in a, in a time of crisis. And one commentator says that uh, Horeb was the uh, sacred mountain where the covenant of God, of Moses, had made himself known. And Elijah's return to the place represents a return of a loyal but disheartened prophet to the very source of faith for which he had contended. You know, Moses and Elijah represented the law and the prophets, but God... God had, re- had revealed Himself through them. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He's He's the ultimate lawgiver, the ultimate prophet. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, the, the writer of Hebrews says it this way, chapter one, verse one. Long time ago, in many times and in many places, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he who up- upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is quite a uh, mountaintop experience for James and John and Peter. Uh, I, mean, I, I can't even fathom what it was like for them, but you know, God has given us mountaintop experiences. You know, what are what are some that God has given you? You know, where when have you felt especially close to Him? You know, maybe maybe when you trusted in, in Jesus for your salvation and, and came to Him for the first time. You know, maybe during times of. Uh, devotion, prayer, Bible study, where, where you, where you've just experienced Christ in a glorious way. Maybe, maybe with others in, in fellowship, you know, he, um, he gives us these times, these mountaintop experiences to, uh, to help us get clarity and, and help us along in our walk with him. But, you know, we can't stay on the mountaintop forever. That's what happened with uh, James and John and Peter. We eventually have to come down from the mountain. This, this mountaintop experience was uh, totally overwhelming for, for these guys. And, you know, Peter, not knowing what to say, say he had to say something, right? That's, that's Peter's personality. He says, Rabbi, it's good we're here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and uh, you know why did why Peter say this? It It's kind of strange at first glance. You know, it's, okay, Peter, what, what are you thinking here? But in, you know, in the context of the book, it makes sense. You know, Peter's thinking, this is awesome. We need to stay here. We need to stay here as long as we can. You know, let's 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 set up a camp and pitch some tents and let's. Maybe, maybe never go down. Yeah, you know, maybe we'll just stay up here forever. You know, let's let's make dwelling places for Moses and Jesus and, and Elijah. Let's keep this mountaintop experience going as long as we can. Um, yeah, you, know, you guys can live here, and we'll stay here with you. Um, I don't, I don't want to go back down there. You know, it's it's hard down there. There's there's confusion. There's war. There's strife. There's you know, there's an oppressive government. Uh, there's people who are sick, people dying, people who are tormented by evil spirits. Spirits. Uh, let's make camp. Let's just stay here. You can't blame him, but Jesus didn't intend for them to stay up on the mountain for long. You know, and, uh, you know he he wants this experience here for for these three disciples. Uh, he, he wants them to see more clearly who he really is in his glory but he has a mission for them then. And, and this mission is not something they can accomplish while they're up on, on top of the mountain like that. And I, I love this part where it says the father spoke. What'd he say? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. You know, it must, it must be hard for Peter to listen at this point. You know, uh, Remember what Jesus said earlier, that, that Jesus, Jesus is going to suffer at the hands of the religious leaders. He's going he's to be uh, tortured and, and murdered. And after three days rise again, and remember Peter rebuked him for saying that. You know, the thing is, Jesus is not going to stay on this mountain. And Peter and James and John are not going to stay on the mountain either. He's, he said he must do these things. The son of man must go through this. Um, Jesus was not going to reconcile the world by staying up on the mountain, living in a tent. You know, he, he would not fulfill the prophecy that said that he would bear our sorrows and griefs, and that uh, by his wounds we would we would be healed. You know, he would not die for our sins if he stayed on the mountain. Uh, but, you know, being on the mountain is great. Uh, you know, when you're on the top of a mountain, you can get a perspective of the world. It can be very beautiful. Uh, you can You can see things in a way that you don't see them when you're in a valley. Uh, and it's it's great to have spiritual mountaintop experience as well you know experiencing the the glory and the wonder of of Jesus Christ you know getting a getting a glimpse of the glorified Christ feeling close to God you know closer maybe sometimes than than ever before you might feel you know seeing just just for a moment maybe what it's going to be like to live with him and be with him, him in his presence for, for eternity, uh, you know, seeing him face to face, like we're told we will someday, not darkly. So you know what, what kind of mountaintop experiences have you had? You know, think of a time you felt very close to him. Maybe in your quiet times, praying. Sometimes you feel so close to Him, and you just feel His peace come over you. Um, you you hear His word, and it's just so clear, and it just so applies to you at, at the moment. You know, you feel like that that verse, that passage, was just written for you, and it was. Maybe it just gave you exactly what you needed at, at that point in your life. You know, these these times are sweet. They're very nice. Very nice mountaintop experiences. Maybe, you know, when, when you meet with other believers and you just feel overwhelmed by the, by the love of Christ, being part of the body of Christ, you know. I, these are good times. I, I have these times. Hopefully we all do. And, uh, you know, maybe you feel like... Uh, Peter did. You know, this is good. I don't want to go down from the mountain. I don't want to go down into the valley. But, you know, he, he doesn't intend for us to stay in our houses. He doesn't intend for us to, to stay in this building. He, he wants us to, to go out. He has a mission for us. Um, as I was thinking about this, reflecting on it, I, I thought about my time when I was at uh, Dallas Seminary uh on, on campus there was there was this little room it was a, it was designated as a, a prayer room it was uh kind of off to the side of the uh, the chapel and i went in there from time to time and i'd see others in there and you know sometimes you you'd see people and just you could tell they were in deep communion with with god uh, you know a very private place it was a place sometimes where people would pray together and you know, I'd walk around campus and, and often I would see maybe two or three people sitting on a bench praying together. You know, just beautiful fellowship, beautiful communion together with with God, you know, pouring their hearts out to him. But, you know, nobody could stay in that prayer chapel forever. Nobody could stay on, on campus forever because uh, even if they wanted to, they eventually have to, to leave. And when you when you left the campus, you'd notice something very spectacular. There was a stark contrast between life on campus and life off campus. It was in downtown Dallas in probably the worst part of town. And it was uh, amazing how you could see that these are people in need of the Lord. They desperately need the Lord. We all need the Lord. But you could see a world of of people who do do not have Christ. They do not have God. They have no hope and they need to be told. Yes, absolutely. Let's go down from that mountain. Let's go tell them he has a mission for us. You know, we're our mission won't be done until we, we re enter the world, till we go down from the mountain and spend some time in, in the valley, you know, to mingle with those who are lost, to spend time developing relationships with with people who need the Lord so desperately. You know, those who are under the, the bondage of, of sin, those people who Jesus came to, to save. And just as Jesus suffered, you know, maybe we'll need to suffer for his sake and, and for the gospel. You know, we just, we can't stay on that mountain. You know, and sometimes it's hard to want to come down from that mountain and, and get to the Father's business, but we have a mission. We need to, we need to be tending to the Father's business. Uh, Billy Graham once said, and "I." I'd, I'd heard this, but I didn't know who said it. It was Billy Graham. He said, mountaintops are for views and inspiration, but fruit is grown in the valleys. I love that. Mountaintops are for views and inspiration, but fruit is grown in the valleys. You know, it's in the, it's in the valleys that we're going to get our hands dirty. It's, it's there when we're, that we're going to be reminded we live in a broken world and, and God has something for us to do. You know we we need to labor. He's got a harvest for us, and we carry with us those those glimpses of of glory. You know, just as a as a reminder of of what's to come when Jesus comes in glory with the angels. Uh, you know, Paul helps us to. Um, put things into perspective I think in Romans 8.18 he said for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us the glory that is to be revealed let's bring this to a conclusion God has revealed himself through Jesus Christ his son but Jesus did come as a man. He came as the Son of Man and the Son of God. He he took on human flesh. He became a a baby. He he willingly subjected himself to the the things that beleaguer us. You know, but he he gave his disciples more and more evidence of who he was. He revealed his glory in stages. Yeah, just six days after Jesus had said, you are the Christ, that's when Jesus took him up with the other two onto this mountain. And as the story keeps unfolding, we will see the the glory of Christ in the resurrection. And in the end, when he returns, we'll, we'll really see his glory. I'm looking forward to that day. But now, for now, you know what? It's just daily, little by little. Paul says in 2 Corinthians three eighteen, and we all, with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image by one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. One degree of glory to another, as we walk with Him in the Spirit. So He gives us mountaintop experiences. These are sweet but just like on this Mount of Transfiguration, we've got to come down eventually. We've got to uh, fulfill the mission that Jesus has has given us. What is that? To be empowered by the Holy Spirit? Making disciples? Teaching them what Jesus has commanded? Baptizing them? You know, when when Jesus went back down with his disciples he was with them and he's also with us he said i will never leave you nor forsake you i'll be with you always and uh you know just as the father told them we need to listen he's telling us the same thing this is my beloved son listen to him listen to him let's pray lord jesus we thank you for revealing who you are to us lord we thank you for the uh the glimpses of of glory that you give us from one degree to another Lord for being present with us through the Holy Spirit we we pray Lord that we would learn to listen to you to heed what you say Lord Lord that our desire would line up with yours that we would be obedient to your commandment to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength to love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, that we would be obedient to your commission to make disciples of all nations. Lord, we, uh, we long for that day. We long for that day when you will come in your full glory, when we will see you face to face when, when we will no longer see dimly as, as in a glass, but clearly face to face, Lord, we, we long for that. That will be sweet. But in the meantime, Lord, help us to, uh, to trust and obey. In Jesus' name, amen.